It's good to see you on this beautiful spring day. I'm going to talk to you about a word that is not a favorite word to a lot of people. As a matter of fact, you don't hear it much in pulpits anymore, and that's to the church's loss and for sure to the sinner's loss. And that's the six-letter word called repent. I'm going to talk to you about repentance. Now, some of you are just thinking, man, I came to church on the wrong day. Where's the door? (laughs) You didn't come on the wrong day. You came on the right day. Because I'm going to show you the beauty of repentance. Matter of fact, without repentance, we wouldn't be here in church. Without repentance, we wouldn't be saved. Without repentance, your life would still be a mess, and so would mine. It's a beautiful word, and I'm going to show you in the next few weeks some blessings released by repentance. Here they are. It's the key to salvation. It's the key to God's presence. It's the key to successful spiritual warfare. And it's the key to spiritual refreshing. So it's going to be good stuff in the next few weeks. Today I'm going to talk to you about the key to salvation. And we're going to look at Matthew 4. Uh, Let's just begin there. Now this is Jesus. I want you to look at how Jesus preached. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, or Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Now look what it says Jesus preached. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. What's the next word? Well, about 10 of you said it. Let's try it again. Preach it, brother. Repent. All right? Notice Jesus. This Jesus. The first word out of his mouth when he began to preach is repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near you. If you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, repentance is the key that unlocks the door. So, Father, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you for convicting our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for anyone who is far from you being brought near. Thank you for giving us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand what the word of God says to us today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, the great teacher of the church, being here right now. Thank you for divine light. In Jesus' name, will you pray, church, and say, Lord, I receive your word. Change me. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to let you preach a little bit. Turn to your neighbor and say, repent. Some of you are going to go to the restaurant. Well, that's a repenting butch down there at Turning Point. Now, I want to, uh, I am going to begin a series on this today because I really believe this is a lost word. It's sad to say that, but it's a lost word in the body of Christ. It's not a popular theme in today's church. We, we kind of equate the word repent with, with ignorant backwoods, sort of hellfire and brimstone preaching, and, and we frown on it. It's not sophisticated anymore to talk about repent. We shouldn't say it. Here's why. Because political correctness has gotten a death grip on Western culture, and it has also influenced the pulpit. So that we don't want to say repent because we don't want to offend anybody. Because if I say repent, then I am insinuating that you have something you need to repent of, and there you get into the whole arena of don't judge me. But the fact is, the Bible judges us all the time. Matter of fact, I don't read the Bible to judge it. I read it to let it judge me. So I noticed that in a best-selling book in 1988, a man wrote, and this is a bestseller, it went everywhere, 
But the, the, he, the title was this, Whatever Became of Sin? Now, he could have written a part two, Whatever Became of Repentance? Because if he's wondering where sin went, and he's talking about the absence of talking about it in the pulpit, and it not being as prevalent in messages as it used to be, then you also have to go, well, if there's no talking about sin, there's no talking about repentance. Because sin is what we are to repent of. If we no longer talk about sin, then how can I say repent unless I first talk about sin? So I don't know about you, but for me, we have got to get back to the Bible. Back to what it said. So what's happened is in order not to offend people with the command to repent, we've watered down the gospel and we've we've turned it into just another sort of self-help message or a motivational message and it's not either of those two leave it to the devil to sully a word that is so crucial to everything God has for you and me repent even Hollywood they love making fun of repent they always show some nutty preacher standing somewhere looking nutty looking crazy doing nutty things and what is he always saying repent And they make fun of it. But of course they're going to make fun of it because Hollywood needs to repent. (laughs) Bad. But so do we. So does everybody. Now, the word repent is literally everywhere in the New Testament, starting with the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the first preacher of the New Testament. And the first thing out of his mouth, let me read it to you. Mark 1 verse 4 says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you heard John preach, it's recorded he said this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the opening salvo of New Testament preaching began with the word repent. Repent. When Jesus began his ministry, the Bible records that Jesus said, it says from that time on, Jesus began to preach. First word out of his mouth, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same as John. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is here, and I'm it. And if you want into the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to repent. Repentance is the key that unlocks the door to everything God has for you and me. That that makes it a beautiful word. That makes it a powerful word. That makes it an indispensable word. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the church on the day of Pentecost... A convicted and electrified crowd said to Simon Peter, Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter answered with one word, repent. He said, you have to repent. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, he said, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, going to be, is this. When he comes, the Holy Ghost, he will convict the world of sin. And see, when he convicts of sin... It is so that we will repent. We are convicted, therefore we repent. The ministry of the Holy Ghost, the first thing the Holy Ghost did with you and with me, if you're a child of God, is he convicted us so that we repented. If he hadn't convicted us, we'd have never repented. And if we had never repented, we'd have never been saved. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin so that we'll repent. I watched um, an interview of one of the best-known pastors in America And in this interview, he said, we don't talk about sin and we don't talk about repentance because the people feel guilty enough during the week. So when they come to church, I don't want them to feel more guilty. 
And I thought, wait a minute, because the way out of guilt is the blood and the way to the blood is repentance. And so it's, it's like, wait a minute, that's backward because John said, repent. Jesus said, repent. The Holy Ghost says, repent. The apostles all through the Bible said, repent. So how do you not say repent? See, guilt and Holy Ghost conviction are two different things. You can be guilty all day long, but that's not Holy Ghost conviction. You can feel bad about something, but that's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit leads us always and evermore to the cross to repent. Amen. Guilt doesn't do that, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. When Paul the Apostle was speaking to the intellectual elite of Athens, he told them, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's all men. That's not some, that's not a few. That's not the really bad guys. That's not just prisoners or people in big trouble. But he said, all men, everywhere, God commands all of us, everyone, to repent. When addressing the seven churches and and John's revelation of the very first couple of chapters of the revelation, we find Jesus addressing seven churches and five of the seven he tells to repent. And he also told us what happens in heaven when one person repents. He said, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Notice, he did not say who has a great New Year's resolution or who is involved in rehab or who kicks a habit. That doesn't make angels rejoice. He said angels rejoice when one sinner genuinely repents. There's a party in heaven. When one sinner genuinely repents. When asked about a natural disaster, Jesus was approached by the story of the Tower of Siloam. There was a tower that fell, and when it fell, it fell on 18 people, and 18 people were killed, and they asked Jesus about this. You know, this week, I was on I-35 when that terrible wreck happened. I didn't see it happen, but I came up on it, and it was an 18-wheeler, and it was um, five vehicles total. One person was killed. Five others were injured. If you saw the picture of this thing, the, the, the 18-wheeler literally crushed one car. It was terrible. Uh, they, they had shut down I-35 South for five to six hours, totally shut down. You could not get through for five to six hours. It was so bad. Now, Jesus, Jesus heard about these 18. It was another disaster, something that happened naturally. There was that wreck on 35. There was this tower that fell. It was a natural disaster, like, like a hurricane or a tornado or something we would call a natural disaster. And, and instead of, of, of stepping into and saying, oh, that's just so terrible, and, and, and I'm so sorry for that, Jesus used it as an opportunity to speak to the living about the necessity of repenting. He said... Do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, we have a tendency when we see something bad happen to somebody, we say, oh, they must have really done something wrong. And they must have really done something wrong because look what happened to them. Look how that tower fell on them or look how they got in that car wreck or that terrible disease. But Jesus said, no, 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 it's none of that. Jesus said, let let me speak to you who are still living. That unless you repent, you will perish just like them. They weren't worse sinners than you. They weren't. The person who died on 35 was not a worse sinner than any other sinner. And Jesus says to the living now, 
unless you repent and step into the kingdom of God by repentance, you will perish as well. Now, what is repentance, really? Here's a simple definition. Repentance is the divinely given way to repair our broken relationship with God. That's it. It's the divinely given way, and it's the only way. There's not another way. It's the divinely given way for us to repair our broken relationship with God. Now let me go to Christianity 101 for a minute. All have sinned. There's not one person who has not sinned. And what does sin do? Sin breaks our relationship with God. Sin puts a wall between us and God. Sin separates us from God. Sin subtracts. Blessing always multiplies, but sin always subtracts. And Jesus came and died on the cross as our mediator so that he could take your hand and God's hand and join them back together. He's the mediator. Now, I love the, the, the cross, the picture of the cross, because it's like this. The cross points up, and it points this way. It points up toward heaven and outward towards men. It's like Jesus is taking us up towards God. When you go to the cross, he takes you up towards God after you allow him to gather you into his arms. He gathers you. He calls to you. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is so light. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. So on the cross, Jesus is looking up on our behalf. He takes us up to God and his arms are stretched out this way saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And when you come to me, you must come by way of repentance. See, the cross is useless. It means nothing unless you avail yourself of the call of the cross. And the call of the cross is repent. Repent. And let the blood shed on that old tree. Let the blood that Jesus shed cover your sins. And when you do, he takes your hand and he takes God's hand and he joins you together back into relationship with God. He's our mediator. He's our attorney. He is our peacemaker. He has broken down every wall and brought us into relationship with him. But unless you repent, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. To repent means to have a change of mind. It means I was going this way, but now I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go this way. I have changed my mind. It means a real change of mind. It involves turning from sin to God. Like I said, it's not just kicking a habit. It's not just saying, well, I'm going to do better this year, lose some weight, go on a diet. That's not what it is at all. It means you're going down that broad way that leads to destruction that Jesus talked about, that broad way that leads to destruction. You're going down. You're running down it. And somebody steps in and says, you need to repent. You need to turn to Christ. And you hear it. And you say, you're right. I changed my mind. I receive him. And you turn. And you turn from your sin to God. And this change of mind results every time in a change of behavior. True repentance involves surrendering your entire life. 
your whole being, both mind and body, to God's will as revealed in the Word. When, when, when Jesus said, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him, He wasn't talking about believing on Him in the sense of, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus lived back there in history. Oh yeah, He's a genuine historical figure. He was there 2,100 years ago, great guy, went around saying great things. I like Him as much as I like Buddha. That's not what He's saying. When he said whoever believes on him means whoever puts their trust in him, whoever embraces him, whoever turns to him, whoever makes him not only their savior but their teacher for life, whoever submits to him and his lordship, that's what believe means. A change of mind always brings a change of lifestyle. Now with that in mind, there's two kinds of repentance revealed in the Bible. False repentance, and there's true repentance. Let me tell you about the false kind, because the false kind is everywhere in churches. And I want to be real clear that we understand the difference between false and true. Here's false. False repentance is when we assume that responding to an altar call saved us. Now, I I call people down the altar a lot, but the altar doesn't save. If they don't come down and pray a genuine prayer of repentance, then they're not saved. The altar doesn't save. There's nothing. The altar doesn't save. Sitting in a church doesn't save you. Amen. Being a churchgoer doesn't save you. Amen. Saying that you're a Christian may or may not be true. Amen. Having an emotional moment. Well, wow, you know, I went to that church service and wow, I teared up. I cried some crocodile tears. That's not evidence necessarily of salvation. See, here's the deal. If there's been no permanent change in your lifestyle, if you're still living the same life of sin as before, you've experienced false repentance. Mm -hmm. I'm going to meddle with your stuff for a minute. Because God meddles with my stuff all the time. Listen carefully to me now. See, you, just because you're in church... Does, if you haven't had a change of lifestyle, if the way you were before and the way you are now, you can't see much difference, then I question whether or not you've been saved because the Bible does. Now, I'm going to let John talk. I didn't say this. John said this. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, let me just, let me just soften that just this one little bit. Whoever says, I know the Lord, and does not keep his commandments, in other words, there's no change of lifestyle, you are lying to yourself, and you have received a lie, and the truth is not in you. See, if you're saying, I'm a Christian, and you're still going out and getting drunk and partying hardy, and you live in sin, and you're not convicted about it? You're not saved. Some of you are like, man, I came to church on the wrong day. (laughs) No, no. Let me just talk straight with you because, listen, this matters. This this, this matters. Why does it matter, Jeff? Because it matters to the Bible. Someone can say, I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. I belong to Christ. But if you're not striving to live the way Jesus taught, if your life hasn't changed, You may be deceiving yourself about being saved. And that matters to me because I want to see you saved. 
The Bible is totally crystal clear about this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. Well, if old things haven't passed away and things haven't become new, then then you're not in Christ. When you've truly repented and genuinely been saved, you will become a brand new person inside. Now, I'm not saying perfect, because I'm not perfect. No Christian I know is perfect. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about a marked, a markedly changed life. Ask, ask my, mom and, my mom and sisters about me. I was a hellion. I was a terrible hellion. I was a foul-mouthed, God-cursing, drug-using I mean, hey, I loved sin. I loved iniquity. I couldn't wait to break the law. I was bad. But then sitting in jail, I heard God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I said, wow. And I got convicted of sin. And when I did, I turned to Christ. My mother and my sisters, they still, they can't believe I'm a preacher. They can't believe what happened to Jeff. What in the world happened to him? Well, I'm going to tell you what happened to me. It wasn't rehab. It was not a New Year's resolution. It was not turning over a new leaf. It was repentance. And when I repented, then it it opened the door to the kingdom of God for me. I, I was saved. You're not the same anymore when you're really saved. You won't be perfect, but you'll be... Uh, a totally a changed person with new motivations and a new, more biblical lifestyle. You'll care about what God thinks. The Bible teaches that true repentance is the necessary key to unlocking the door to salvation. Without it, you can't be saved. That's why the first word out of John, repent. Jesus, repent. Peter, repent. Paul, repent. Let's say you're in a burning house that is quickly burning down. And you're, you're trapped in it. The flames are getting closer and closer, and you're choking on the smoke. And right about then, somebody appears out of nowhere and hands you a key. And they say, you see that door? It's been locked, but that's the only way out, and I'm giving you the key that unlocks the door for you to get out of this burning house. Let me tell you, you don't care what that key looks like. You don't care what it feels like. You don't care what color it is. You don't care what it's shaped like. All you know is this the most beautiful key that's ever been handed to you because this key is going to get you out of the burning house. And you run and you unlock it and you get out and you're safe. Listen, that's the way I see repentance. It's a beautiful key because it, it gives us escape from the burning house of hell. And to one day step through heaven's gates. And without repentance, we will never get there. Jesus, repent. John, repent. Paul, repent. Peter, repent. You've got to repent. We may not like the word, but it's a beautiful word. And I'm going to show you in the next few weeks, it's an incredibly powerful word as far as releasing onto us so much of what God has for us. When writing to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul distinguished between true and false repentance by talking about two different kinds of sorrow. He said, let me show you what false repentance and true repentance look like. He said, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. So the sorrow came from God. Catch that. The sorrow he's talking about 
that led to salvation came from God. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Can I read that again? Godly sorrow, the sorrow God gives, produces repentance, which then leads to salvation. Not to be regretted. You're never regretted. Who can regret that they got saved and delivered from hell? Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, there's the second kind of sorrow. So there's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. What's the difference? One leads to death. The other leads to salvation. What's the difference? I'm going to tell you what worldly sorrow is quickly. Worldly sorrow is when a person is sorry over the loss or the disappointment or the shame or the ruin or the sickness caused by their sin, but they're not sorry for the sin. They're sorry about what it did. I have visited so many people in jail. Some have repented. Some have not. And, and the ones who have not, here's what they'll say. I'm, man, I just, I'm so sorry for the consequences that what I, what I did have brought upon me and, and my loved ones. I hate that I got caught. I hate that I'm in here. How could I have been so stupid? And, and they don't once say, oh, I sinned. My problem is sin. No, they're just sorry for the consequences. This is illustrated by the repentance of Judas, which was false. We're told that Judas, seeing that he, Jesus, had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, well, what is that to us? In other words, we don't care. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Now, wait a minute. He had guilt. He had worldly sorrow. He had remorse. But notice with me. He did not once consider going to God and repenting. If he had gone to God and repented, the guilt that brought him to take his own life would have been removed. But he didn't take care of the guilt by going to the cross, which is the only place to genuinely get rid of your guilt. So, Judas was remorseful, but it never says he repented. He didn't take his sin to God. for. He never went upward with it. It was all this way. It was never upward. It was outward. So worldly sorrow is grief for the consequences rather than the sin itself. But David, when David committed adultery and when David murdered, David had a totally different reaction. He shows us exactly what true repentance looks like. David writes about it. And we see the first thing about David's repentance, I'm going to read it to you, is David's conviction, his sorrow was God-conscious. It was sorrow over having sinned against God. It wasn't sorrow about being caught, because Nathan caught him. Nathan confronted him after three years of denial, three years of a lack of repentance on David's part. Nathan finally confronted him and pointed his long prophetic finger at him and said, You are the man. And when he said, You are the man, he came under Holy Ghost conviction. And here's the way it looked. First, it was God-conscious. It was God-word. David wrote, Against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's saying, God, I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I sinned against you. The consequences are terrible. Oh, yeah, the consequences are falling all around me. My own son has turned against me. I've lost Ahithophel, my counselor. There's going to be a mutiny against me for the whole kingdom. I have a divided kingdom. The consequences are huge. But David's concern was not about his suffering, but the fact that he had hurt a holy God. 
You see? That's Holy Ghost conviction. That's, that's godly sorrow. That's not worldly sorrow that never looks up. It's godly sorrow that first looks up. The second thing I see about his sorrow, godly sorrow, is that his godly sorrow agreed with God's verdict. David writes, so you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. See, godly sorrow comes into agreement with what God says about our sin. Mm -hmm. See, we're living in a generation right now, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to repent. You tell some of the people out there in that world right now, they, they have sin and they need to repent. And they'll say, don't you tell me what I need to do. I'm fine. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. There's no sin. As a matter of fact, there's no such thing as sin. And, and don't judge me. And there's no repentance at all. But when you get convicted by the Holy Spirit, first thing you do is you say, Lord, this happened between me and you. And second, I agree with you, Lord. You're right. I sinned. I sinned against you. You're right. It's sin. It's not a personality defect. It's not only what somebody else considers wrong. But Lord, you say it's wrong. And so I receive your take on my sin. Godly sorrow says, I deserve your judgment, Lord. Your assessment of my sin is right. Now third, godly sorrow always seeks God's forgiveness. The Holy Ghost will always lead us to the cross where the blood was shed. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So godly sorrow causes us to go to God for forgiveness. Judas didn't. He just talked to the Pharisees, threw his money back in the court, went and hanged himself. But David prayed. I love this. It's so beautiful. David said, sprinkle me with the cleansing blood and I'll be clean again. Isn't that beautiful? I want us to read that out loud together. It's so beautiful. I just want us to read it out loud because it's so true. When you sin, here's what you pray. Let's pray it. Sprinkle me with the cleansing blood and I will be clean again. Let's keep going. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. One more. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Notice his prayer. Sprinkle me. Wash me, blot out. He knew that the only answer was God. That's the only answer. True repentance says, Lord, please forgive me. You're the only one that can take care of my sin problem. Please take my sin away. That's true repentance. One more thing. Godly sorrow leads us to forsake our sin every time. If it's godly sorrow, if you're being convicted by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will always do this. You need to repent, and while you're repenting, you need to lay that thing down, put that thing down, walk away from that thing. Whatever it was you're repenting of, you need to get rid of it. You need to renounce it, denounce it. You say, well, Jeff, I've done that, and I've gone back a few times, or maybe a lot of times. That's okay. Keep on repenting. Because one day, you'll find that you're free from it. But, but the way to the power of the kingdom of God is by repentance. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, listen, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Mm, so let's stand together, can we? And we're going to repeat this together. 
Say with me, true repentance, true repentance. is conviction of, for sinning against God. Agrees with God's verdict. Seeks forgiveness from God. Leads you to forsake your sin. And true repentance is the key to salvation. Aren't you glad we serve a forgiving God? Amen. I'm so glad we serve a forgiving. How many times did we even need to repent this? I repented this week. I'm going to be talking to you about practicing daily repentance. Because we need to keep a clear conscience, and that's coming. And when you keep a clear conscience, you are ready for battle. I repented this week. I'm so thankful for the ever-accessible blood of the Lamb. So I want us to go to Him together. Maybe you've been involved in false repentance. Listen, I don't condemn you or judge you. I love you. The Lord loves you. But see, if you've considered yourself a Christian, but there's been no change, you may have been involved in false repentance. And you need to repent. But I want to do something with all of us here today. We're going to pray a simple prayer, and I'm going to let you fill in the blank of anything you need to repent for. How many of you can say, I mess up easy? Tell the truth. The rest of you, you just lied in church. You can repent too. No. I mess up easy. You say something, you think something, you do something, or you cop an attitude that doesn't glorify God. I was so upset over the traffic jam on I-35 on Thursday until I realized what had happened to somebody. And I said, Lord, forgive me. I was just thinking about me. Let's go to him together and repent. Say with me, Lord Jesus, thank you for the shed blood that washes my sin away. I ask you by the Holy Spirit to show me anything I need to repent for to clean the slate. Pause a minute. Let the Holy Ghost talk to you. Just pause a minute. I'm not asking you to come under condemnation. I'm asking you to come under conviction. Satan condemns. God convicts. Now, say, Lord, forgive me for and you fill in the blank and repent and I'm going to lead a simple prayer for those who might be wondering well wow you know there had not been any big change in my life since I thought I was a Christian and I'm going to give you the opportunity right now to repent and ask Christ into your heart we can do it today right now if you have a question mark, I'll tell you I would handle it today. But here's the simple prayer. Pray it with me. If you're wondering, well, I don't know if I'm saved. Pray it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved 
from my sin. I repent for the sin that has separated me from you. And I ask you to come into my heart. I open the door and I ask you to come in as Savior and Lord. Save my soul today, Lord. In Jesus' name. And with your heads bowed, say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. Put your hands right up. Don't be ashamed. I prayed that with you. People all over this building. Wow. I prayed this with you. I want you to know God heard that prayer. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you pray that with me, I'm going to ask you, as soon as I dismiss this service,